John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. It says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you ask what you wish and it will be done for you grass withers flower fades and the word of our God stands forever so this morning at Missio we're moving on kind of into our next section uh, that we're calling of our of our foundation series Um, we've covered our vision statement right we exist to glorify God by empowering all of Christ's people to worship him with all of their lives and giving every man, woman, and child a repeated opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. That was kind of our vision statement and a mission statement of of, um, uh, empowering people with the gospel, to grow in the gospel and reach people with the gospel. And then we did our, um, our four core values, right? God, truth, love, and mission. Last week, Ryan Cozy was here speaking on the idea of mission. So we've covered the vision statement, our core values. And lastly, in this little foundation series, we're going to spend time going over what we call discipleship outcomes. Okay? So there are five of them, essentially, that we're going to talk about. Five discipleship outcomes. They are uh, communing with God daily, living by the Spirit, sharing God's grace, serving with spiritual gifts, and stewarding life generously. Okay, so those are all five. We're going to take five weeks to kind of unpack uh, these five discipleship outcomes. But the the idea behind this is not to write a new list of commandments. Like I, I start seeing lists and I think, oh, we have a faith that's got, we've got some lists where there's a big list of ten uh, that we have, the, the Ten Commandments. So is, is this effort, is this just trying to, we're cutting it in half. We're going to, instead of having Ten Commandments, we're going to try to have Five Commandments, something along those lines. But the idea of this is not to write a new list of commandments or to generate some new checklist for ourselves, but rather they are five categories, essentially, of our lives that we can consider when asking the question, what does it mean to glorify God? And am I glorifying God does my am I growing and when we talk about being empowered to worship him with all of our lives am I growing in that am I getting close am I worshiping God am I am I, is my sanctification happening and so these are essentially five categories 
with which they, they help us in self-diagnosis. They'll help us in discipleship when we meet with one another. These five categories of discipleship outcomes that if you're a disciple of Christ, and by that I mean that Christ is your master and you seek to be discipled, disciplined, come under his leading, these are categories of discipleship that we are going to kind of, that, that, that helps us think about how is our discipleship going. There are three big ideas that run behind the desire to emphasize these five things in our discipleship. So, sorry, I'm going to have a lot. Of, then I, after these, the first five is the outcomes. I've got three things underneath it, and then I've got two other observations. So we're going to go five, three, two. But in, there, there are three big ideas that, as just an introduction to the discipleship outcomes, I think we've got to lay out. Because there's, there's some real danger when you start making lists. We, we just gravitate naturally. I mean, I think most of us gravitate towards this idea of give me the list of things to do to make God happy and then I'm going to get to it and maybe I'll make God happy. Okay? And so you have to stress some things at the front end uh, that undergird why we're going to talk about these five discipleship outcomes. The first big idea is that Christianity is not just an agreement with a concept. Christianity is not just, you know, I've, I've heard a message about Jesus, uh, I've heard that I'm a sinner, that God's the creator, um, that, I, that I need to, to look to him or trust him. Okay, uh, I fill out the survey, I take the, the multiple choice test, and I, I check all the boxes, therefore uh, I'm a Christian. Christianity is not just an agreement with the concept. It's not a mere gathering of a set of truth claims. It's not a mere yes to claims about the divine nature of Jesus and so on and so forth. The Christian faith is not just a mental exercise. This will get you in trouble today, right? They, people, churches might ask you to leave if you start saying things like, I think the Christian faith actually makes a difference in your day-to-day -day life that the call to obedience will actually impact the way that you live. And that is not a popular message. Some, some view Christianity as essentially a, a, a thought experiment that I put upon my already good life. <laughs> and I just kind of, oh, say yes to this, say yes to that, and just kind of, but there isn't any real change. It's just a, a mental exercise. There are they're antinomian, which is the, the fancy theological word for they're against the law, antinomian, or at least self semi-antinomian, in that essentially we, we hold these truths, we, we grab hold of the gospel, uh, Jesus died for me, yeah, thanks a lot, but there really isn't any, any uh, restrictions, any, any guidelines, any force behind that to change my life. They would encourage you, these that would see Christianity as basically a mental exercise, they would maybe even encourage you to be a nice person, but to not get too caught up in the details or too distressed about outward obedience. Just love God in your head and, and you know, and, and it doesn't really matter. There's no correction from Scripture. But they're denying passages like 1 John 4.20, which says that, if we say we love God but don't love our brothers, we're a liar. That, that John expects your confession of a truth to actually have implication in your life. <laughs> that if you say, oh, I love God, but it's just everybody else I hate, 
you're lying. <laughs> that there's, a, there's actual an implication to the gospel. It isn't just, oh yeah, I love Jesus died for me and has forgiven me. And yes, I should forgive people, but none of you. I mean, I've got people I've had real wrong, so I'm not going to forgive. You know, the uh, Bible speaking about uh, greed or trusting God for your, for, your, uh, for your provision, and yet you're greedy or, or, or you know, shameful gain sort of thing. Uh, Christianity is not just an agreement with a concept. Those that follow this would warn you, they'd say, well, if you try to make it about the things you do, you're going to become a legalist, Okay which is the flip side of this error. The first error is making a Christianity just an agreement, agreement with a concept, but the second error is saying that Christianity is just about outward behavior. Christianity is not just outward behavior. So instead of the person who says it doesn't matter what you do, you just kind of say yes to a few things, ask Jesus into your heart sort of thing, and then it's all good, the flip side of that is saying, Christianity, it's all about your outward obedience. You are the one that's got to make God happy. While we do not say that being a Christian is just about your inward assent, a grasp of truth claims, neither is it just conformity with certain behaviors. Like as though we're going to put out the five discipleship outcomes and we're going to say, or the Ten Commandments or any of them, and say, if you outwardly conform your life to these things, God's happy with you. That's not Christianity. That's not Christianity. That's Phariseeism. That's, Jesus had strong words for this sort of mindset. Matthew 23, 25, Jesus warns the Pharisees, right? He says, you work so hard to clean the outside of the cup, right? You, you, you're trying to get everything lined up so that everyone looks at you and says, wow, you're religious. You must really be impressive. But inside, Jesus says, you're full of greed and self-indulgence is what he says in Matthew. Typically, if you try to take Christianity, serious, Christianity seriously, in our culture today, this will be the accusation most likely thrown at you. You're just a legalist. <laughs> You're just trying to get right with God by your outward performance. That is a real danger. I would say that it's probably not the ditch we're closest to in our culture today, that we're trying to obey God too much. But, but there is a real danger of, 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 of seeking God's approval through obedience. So there's two ditch. Christianity, just an agreement with a concept, or that Christianity somehow is just, if I get right on the outside, God will be happy with me. There is a straightforward way, though, to see this. Thirdly, Christianity is an agreement with a truth claim, faith, that does produce a new way of living, a walk. We've been going through Ephesians on our Wednesday night group, talking about uh, walking in accordance with your calling, that to believe these things, to see Jesus for who he is, does result in a walk that is worthy of your calling. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Believing God, his character, his gospel promises have implications in the life of a believer. We agree completely with James when he says in chapter 2, verse 17, that a faith that has no real practical impact in your daily life is a dead faith. He says that faith without works is dead. 
And we always hear that when we're saying good works. Well, what he's basically just saying is that if you have a faith and you say, I believe God, but it, it doesn't ever hit the road in your life, it doesn't ever get walked out, you're lying. <laughs> That's not a real faith. That's not a real faith. Christianity is an agreement with the truth claim. God says, here's what I have done. Look to Christ, believe in him, and walk in a manner worthy of your calling. It is an agreement with a truth claim that does produce a new way of living, a new walk. At the outset, and as reminders throughout discussing these outcomes, we need to keep these, we're not, we're going for this third category, not just affirming Jesus, the gospel with our heads, not just trying to get a holy huddle group of people who look great on the outside and boy, don't we all do all the right things, we must be impressive, but those who truly believe and that it does have an impact in the way that we live our lives. We need to keep a couple of other things in mind as well. And Jim has said this a few weeks ago, is that these outcomes are both aspirational and actual. And, and aspirational, what we mean by that is that there's an element of this that we're going to be working toward always. It's aspirational. We want to grow in these things. It is not a checklist, oh, I, this morning we're going to, when we get to it, we're going to talk about communing with God. Oh, I did that, check off the list, I'm good to go. These are aspirational. We are aware of the depravity of man and that we are going to be constantly working towards these things. They are aspirational. We will always be working to get better at these things. In these areas, these five outcomes, there will always be room for repentance and growth. Yet that admits that they are, honestly, they are to be actualized as well. Aspirational goals, yet also actualized. Like there, there should be some fruit going on in our lives. And if not fruit, then at least repentance over the lack of fruit. Repentance is a fruit of these aspirational desires. Aspirational and yet actual. And secondly, what I will be trying to stress over and over again. These outcomes are the fruit of a right relationship with God, not the means to one. They are the fruit of a right relationship with God, not the means to one. So when we speak of the faith, specifically the doctrine of justification, how one is made right with God, and then sanctification, one's growth and godliness, it is critical that we don't mess that order up. Justification is the legal declaration of God that when you trust in Christ, when you turn from your sins and you say, I confess, God, I have fallen short of your righteous standard. I'm a sinner. I deserve your wrath and your judgment. Justification is the process. You repent, you turn from that, and you, you look to Jesus who has died on the cross, taking your wrath upon himself so that you could be forgiven of your sin, made righteous in God's sight. That is your justification. A moment in time where God looks at you and says, forgiven, adopts you into his family. Sanctification then is your growth in godliness. That now that the Holy Spirit indwells you, you're sealed with the Spirit, you walk in a manner worthy of your calling, right? And so you grow in your godliness. Never mix up. And what we like to do, and what our, our uh, 
self-desire, for self-affirmation. What we want it to be is we think sanctification is here. And we get better and better and better and more righteous. And then God looks at us and they say, well, look at that person. They're really doing well. I guess I'll go ahead and justify them. No. Never get that order mixed up. Your, the favor of God coming upon you is not based upon your sanctification. It is based upon Jesus and his justification. It is from that reality that we go forward. We are made righteous through faith in Christ's work. We are saved by grace alone as a gift. Do not get backwards on this. It is not our lives that prove his love for us. It is not our lives that prove his love for us. Like, okay, God, see how good I've been. I'm earning of your love. It is not our lives that prove his love for us. It is Jesus' life that proves his love for us. You get the difference? <laughs> it isn't your life that's going to prove God's love for you. Like, man, look at, you know what? I left a, a whole, and I started a church in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's some sort of, you know, let me, let me prove God's love for me. Aren't I impressive? Look how much my Bible I know. Look how much time I spend witnessing to my friends. Look at how much money I give to the congregation. Look at all the, the ways I'm able to tell a story and witness and evangelize others. God must really love me. Look at my, how, my impressive resume. It is not your life that proves God's love for you. It is Jesus's. He is the one who came and lived the righteous life you should have lived, died the death that you deserve. It is Jesus' life that puts God's love for us on display. These outcomes are not our effort to earn his love. They are our grateful responses to his love. That wasn't taking too much time expressing that. Like, we're supposed to get to somewhere. We're supposed to get to the first outcome, which is communing with God. We're going to get there. But that it was not wasted time to remember that. It is not your love, your, your performance, that is the measure of God's love for you. It is Christ. I want you to hear that. That's good news. When you lay your head down on the pillow at night, when you wait and, and think about your day, it is not, well, God, look how great I was for you today that is going to earn his favor for you. It is Christ's blood and righteousness that redeems even your good works, forgives your sinful works. It is Jesus that earns the favor of God. These outcomes are not an effort to earn his love. They are grateful responses to his love. So that being covered... Our first outcome of discipleship that we're going to talk about briefly now this morning is communing with God. Communing with God. There's a historic, this is a historic way of speaking just about our intimacy with God, communion with Him. We're not talking about the, the, um, the, uh, the ordinance of communion. We're just talking about fellowship. Fellowship with God. The first discipleship outcome is communing with God. Our primary mark of discipleship is our fellowship with God himself. So you might ask yourself these questions. How are you getting along with God? I know it seems elementary. Just it's a silly question. But honestly, if you were to answer, a, write an essay. <laughs> how are you getting along with God? Are you on speaking terms with God? 
What's he saying to you? What are you, what have you been telling him? And I'm going to work through what those mean, not to, I want you to think of getting all weird with what's God been saying to you. But it's clear that an intimate fellowship with God is the desire of Jesus, the commanded necessity that Jesus gives the Christian life. That's why we started there in John 15. There's this mutual abiding in the Christian life. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. There's, there is to be an ongoing intimate fellowship between the believer and their savior, between the created and their creator. There is to be this intimate relationship. We abide with him and he abides with us. To abide with him is to make your home with him. It's like a dwelling place. Where do you go to be comfortable? Where do you go to be at home? Where do you go to receive nourishment? Where do you go to receive rest? If you're a kid, where do you go to receive discipline? <laughs> You go home. <laughs> good, good, healthy discipline is done at home. This is what it means to abide with him. With him is where you are refreshed and comforted, fed and trained and even disciplined. There is this helpful illustration that Jesus gives, right? That's why we started there. Really, John 15, you can read. It isn't like hard to exegete. What is Jesus talking about? This branch and vine language. I need, a, I need a commentary to help me figure this out. It's pretty simple, pretty clear. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you got nothing. What does the branch need to do? The branch needs to stay in communion with the vine. We need to stay in fellowship with God the Father, with Jesus Christ. He is the vine. We are the branches. If the branch wants to grow, how is it going to do that? Connection to the vine. The branch doesn't cut itself off and say, I'm going to go work really hard, become a great big branch, and then the vine will want me back. <laughs> doesn't work that way, does it? I mean, we're, we're enough of an agricultural, like, I guess if we were in an urban area, you'd be worried about somebody or something if they didn't know how to grow a plant. But if you cut off a, a new shoot, it do, you don't grow it and then put it back on. It, it, it's, its growth is dependent upon its connection with the main vine. If it is to grow, it must keep an intimate, close connection with the vine from which the life flows. If the branch loses connection to the vine, it dies. So when it comes to this first discipleship outcome, I think really there's a, there's simplicity and also there's a profound reality underneath it of the, the outcome of how is your fellowship with God going? The life of a disciple is one walking in communion with God. So some, the diagnostic questions. How are you getting along with God? You know that word association game where someone says a word and you say the first thing that comes to your mind and, and you kind of play that back and forth and see what your initial reaction is? When someone, when someone throws, would throw out to you, God, uh, what is the, your initial reaction? What's your immediate thought or emotion when your mind turns to God? And honesty here is important. No good friendship grows when the truth is kept in the dark. You cannot hide your true thoughts from him anyway. Far better to just put them out there so that good work can be done. Our Christianized culture has put out the image that the real believer also just always feels great about God. Never struggles, never has disappointments, never has things they're upset about, never has worries, never has anxieties. They're just happy, clappy, everything's great. That is not true Christianity. If you read the Psalms, their inspired poems, 
to God and they are full of honest communion with Him. Times of great enjoyment of God, yes, but times of real struggle, disappointment, fear, and anger at the circumstances of life. Whatever the answer is to this question, how are you getting along with God? Real communion with God is going to have an answer of some type. Like, the, the scariest thing is, I don't know. Figure it out. Find out. How is your communion with God going? Work to find one. Take 15 minutes this afternoon. Turn everything off. How does everything sit between me and God? An honest assessment. So there's a place to grow from. Having fellowship with God. Are you on speaking terms with him? What's he saying to you? What are you saying to him? Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about angelic visions, not talking about dreams and whatever in the night, some sort of extra biblical revelation. What I am talking about is that communion with God requires communication with him. Communion with God requires communication with him. And Jesus gives us clear instruction on how to hear from him in John 15, right? Verse 7, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus gives us clear instruction on how to hear from him. We ought to abide in him by his word abiding in us. When it comes to communing with God, we've got two directions. Very simply, receiving what he says to us in his word and speaking back to him in prayer. Communion with God, reading his word, praying back to him. It's, you know, because you, we're, we are in an age where novelty is what's almost always rewarded. If you have the next new thing, you're going to get on top. Or if, you, if you're the early adopter on a new thing, you might make it big. Like, a, yeah, I don't have to use that illustration. Uh, but, the, you know, if it's novel, you, you want, that's, what's, that's where the power is at. That's where all the momentum gets behind is something novel, something new. And so when a pastor gets up and says, let me give you the secret to communion with God. It's reading your Bibles and praying. It almost feels like a letdown. Because <laughs> we're like, oh, wait a second. I wanted the secret. I wanted, I wanted the, you know, come on. I wanted the, the really neat plan on how I'm going to grow in my walk with God. And the reality is God in his mercy has set up Christianity with very ordinary means of grace. Ryan, uh, Dr. Cozy said last week about the, the emphasis of ordinary Christians, like the mission then, the mission now, and God does it through ordinary Christians. Not only is it done through ordinary people, but it's also this transformation of ordinary people to do extraordinary things, but the transformation of those ordinary people comes through very ordinary means. It is a real grace that God does his great works through very ordinary means. Simple consuming of his word. Time spent in prayer back to him. We always want the big fix, don't we? I feel I do. Like, so, I don't have time. This past winter, we got ready to turn our heater on. And I may share this story with some of you. But I go to the thermostat and I click it on, you know, turn the thermostat up to... 90, trying to get to kick on. Is the heat on? You know, I'm trying all these things. I cannot get, I have a hard, I have water heat in my house. I could not get it to kick on. 
and I'm, you know, messing with everything. I'm looking at the, I'm trying to see, is there a reset button on the, on the heater? You know, I'm doing all these, is the pilot light out? No, it's got its own self-starting pilot light. I'm doing all, getting the book out, trying to read on this heater. How in the world am I going to fix it? I start calling electricians, you know, uh, HVAC guys. I call everywhere trying to find somebody. Finally, like a week later, like three or four days later, I get a hold of somebody. It was over a weekend. Come look at this, please. There's something really wrong with my heater. I need to get it fixed. Because, I mean, it, it just seems like, isn't it going to be easier to have just this big grand somebody come in and give me a bill and fix it? The plumber shows up, the heater guy shows up, and the breaker switch was flipped on my heater. <laughs> it's nothing. <laughs> Flip the switch, and it works. And I spent a week trying to find some great, amazing way to fix my heater. And all I needed to do was just check the power supply. Like, what's, is, what's easier than that to just check the power supply? But we want some big fix. Uh, baseball season is starting. And so we don't, and Joel's wanting to get, you know, doing some baseball stuff. And I said, we, need, we broke our tee last year. So we need to get a tee and hit, practice hitting the ball at the tee. He's like, Dad, I'm not playing tee ball. We're not, I don't need a tee. I, and, and so there's, but what we don't think about is that MLB, MLB players still practice hitting off of a tee because the ball's always right there in the strike zone and you're working on your swing. You're just getting that mechanics going. And we quickly want to get to, as a kid, I want to have the ball pitched to me. And then the kid's swinging up here in the air, you know, all out of the strike, stepping over here, chasing the ball because mom or dad can't pitch very good. But they want this big, fancy way to get advance. And the, the truth is, put the, do the simple thing right in front of you to, to grow in a baseball player. Hit off of a tee. We want something big and fancy. What God has given us is his word and the ability to communicate with him. Read his word. Pray it back to him. Many ways to consume your Bible. Bible plans. You know, honestly, if you're not in it at all, take five minutes and just go in anywhere. Read a gospel. Read about Jesus. Read and hear what he has to say to you and then pray that back to him. Why? Because this is what bears fruit in the life of the Christian. Not just deeds or good works or trying to do a right thing out in the community, but the fruit of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. This God, who if you are a believer here this morning, saves you through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He loves you. He loves you, and there is no further need to impress him or to please him to earn his favor. The adoption papers are signed. You are his. What is left is for us to enjoy him by our regular communion with him. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we've just tried to take a few minutes and remember specifically what our growth and godliness comes from, Father, we rejoice in all that you are for us in Jesus. Father, we want to see real, honest communion with you happening in the lives of the people of Missio Church. Father, we do not want to build a place that has a lot of us going through the motions of church, a lot of us going through the smiles, we all know them, the smiles of church when... There isn't a lot going on that honors you. We don't want to be that kind of place, Father. We want to be a place where 
real communion and fellowship with you happens. And so my prayer is that just in this room this morning, God, with just those of us who are here this morning, Father, do a real work in every heart that we would answer the question, how are we doing with you? How is our walk with you going? How is our fellowship with you going? That, Father, we would be uh, moved to open up your word, to hear the truths of the gospel, to remember just again what Christ has done for us, the love that you have for us, that, God, it would move us closer to you, rejoicing in who you are and provoking us to the fruit that then honors you. Father, I pray for hearts in here this morning that maybe are like mine that struggle with um, guilt of feeling like I don't need more outcomes. I, I struggle so much as it is. Father, I pray that as we head into this time of looking at these outcomes that we would first plant deeply this flag. It is not our performance for you that pleases you. It is Christ's work for us. That, Father, we would, that everyone in this room this morning would know that it is who Christ is, not who we are, that makes us right with you. That your love for us is dependent upon not our good works, but Christ's good work, his righteous deeds, his substitutionary death, his resurrection from the grave. And that, God, from that anchor, from that anchor, God, may we then enjoy desire to go out in communion with you, living to honor you, loving your word, praying to you, God, not out of obligation or of some need to impress you, but, Father, honestly from a heart of joy in who you are and what you have done and what the finished work of Christ has accomplished. God, do that work over all in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.